The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So, uh, welcome to the Buddhist Society of Victoria. I nearly said Western Australia, actually. <laughs> Took me a bit. <laughs> um, to the Buddha Loka Buddhist Centre. So, this evening is a meditation evening together. And it's always a, a wonderful opportunity because when we meditate together, there's a, a special energy, actually, that you get from meditating in a group that you don't seem to get when you meditate on your own. Of course, the Buddha didn't meditate in a group, did he? <laughs> but, but that's a very advanced stage. And for all of us, you know, we can find support in, in meditating together. So that's why these evenings of uh, meditating together are very useful. I think uh, human beings have some sort of a group energy, you could say, you know, a group energy for the better. Or for the worse, sometimes <laughs> we can see that. Actually, so just to introduce myself to those who don't know me, my name is Ajahn Nisarano, and I am an Australian monk who ordained with Ajahn Brahm in Western Australia. Now that was 23 years ago. I had ordained as a novice monk, and 22 years ago as a full monk, a bhikkhu, we say bhikkhu, but. For the last 13 years, I've been living in Sri Lanka and just visiting Australia. So I come and go. Um, so Sri Lanka is a very good good place for, um, it's a Buddhist country, of course, and a good place for a Buddhist monk to live in. It's very easy there because the traditions there support, you know, monks and, uh, and living on one's own. I lived on my own for eight years in a cave, um, very comfortable cave, I should say. <laughs> Uh, about 30, 30 kilometers from uh, a large large town called Balangoda. And so uh, so it's a very very nice to be here. So that's me. And today, do you know what today is? Actually, I think some people will have different answers. There are two answers, both correct. Hmm? It is Remembrance Day. And one of the meanings of remembrance, and one of the meanings of sati, mindfulness, is remembrance, but it's uh, <laughs> it's important that we do remember. And if we don't remember the past, then we cannot learn from it. So hopefully, you know, when we have these remembrance days, we remember the horror of wars and what it leads to, the suffering it leads to, and can avoid them in the future. However, that doesn't seem to have been the case. <laughs> Usually, it doesn't stop us. But also, today is has another significance. A very Buddhist significance, actually. It is the full moon day. Full moon day. I think in Sri Lanka they're celebrating it tomorrow, twelfth. But in uh, for the monks uh, in the tradition that I'm, I'm associated with, it, today is the full moon day. So, and that uh, marks the end of the retreat period for. Buddhist monks and nuns for three months from July to October usually that's the three months and then there's a second retreat that begins from August to November <laughs> so you've got two options 
So it finishes uh, tomorrow morning for uh, most uh, for the for monks and nuns. And in Sri Lanka, this is a very um, a time when you have these celebrations marking the end of the retreat period called Katina, and they're very popular. There are people that go to many of them all over the country. It's incredible, amazing. So this evening, though, we're not we're here to focus on meditation. And uh, the aspect of meditation I was going to focus on, I was talking about it yesterday in the uh, Dhamma talk we have on Sunday mornings. We have a Dhamma talk from about uh, 9.45 to 10.30. And that focused on how we can protect ourselves and protect others. And as I mentioned in uh, I mentioned yes, uh, yesterday, that the whole of the Buddha's teaching is ways of protecting ourselves, different ways of protecting ourselves. And of course, what, what it protects us against, what do you think it protects you against? Does it protect you against getting old, getting sick and dying? No. <laughs> Nobody can do that. But it can protect us against our defilements, our negative uh, mind states. That's what it can protect us against. That's what it can purify. So that, you know, particularly greed, hatred and delusion, these are the things that make us suffer. You know, we, we may think it's our neighbour or somebody at work or someone down the road or a family member, but it isn't really. It's our own defilements that cause us grief. So it is a a way of protecting us against those and bringing happiness. Because once we have uh, overcome, purified, reduced these defilements, or completely eliminated them, then the mind is happy. All those dark aspects of the mind are banished. Light comes, happiness comes, joy comes. And so the way that the, the aspects I was just going to mention briefly, I won't go into it because I did on Sunday yesterday, was that the the way it protects us in Buddhism, we have the three refuges of Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. That gives a great protection in the sense it gives security and fear, freedom from fear because it gives steadiness to the mind. If we have confidence in the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. Also we have giving, dana is a very important part of Buddhism. And this protects us against selfishness. It protects us against greed, envy, and many other things. And giving is actually a great form of happiness. <laughs> and sila, this is morality, ethical uh, conduct. This is really important for our happiness and well-being. I say to people, and protection, if you want to live a com complicated life, if you want to have a lot of difficulty in your life, if you want to have a lot of suffering in your life, break seal. Kill, kill living beings. You know, steal, have sexual misconduct. We see it in the news all the time now. And lie, and, uh, and uh, lie, yes, and also take drugs and alcohol. Those things lead to a very complicated life. So we're protected if we keep the five precepts of the Buddha. But this evening, of course, is the protection of bhavana, or uh, <laughs> this is a, an aspect of bhavana is meditation. And of course, loving kindness, metta, that, that protects us very much. And there are many things, you know, like compassion protects us, 
and uh, joy in other people's success and good quality protects us. But this evening, mindfulness, they talk about mindfulness, sati, uh, and how that protects us. And of course, the biggest protection in our lives, all of all beings' lives, is wisdom. If we understand how things are, it changes everything, you know. Very easy to see, you know, I see it in Sri Lanka because, you know, my uh, knowledge of the Sinhala language is not so great, so there can be misunderstandings. And always afterwards when I understand, that, oh, really, is that what it was? <laughs> you know, completely different from, from what I imagined. And we all have those experiences in, in life where we have misunderstandings. And quite often, once we understand how the situation is, it drops away. It's not a big problem. And uh, so this is one of the, the, the most important uh, aspects of the Buddha's teaching that protects us is wisdom and protects us uh, the best in many ways. So this evening I was going to talk about and uh, do a guided Satipatthana uh, meditation. Satipatthana, people heard of Satipatthana? Yes. This is the uh, sometimes called Four Foundations of Mindfulness or Four Establishments of Mindfulness. Um, Ajahn Brahm, he calls it four focuses of mindfulness, all these different words for it. And I, I learnt this Satipatthana meditation from Sayadaw Upandita. And most of you don't know, but do people know who Sayadaw Upandita is? There is a famous one, Sayadaw Upandita, in Burma. So I always say that in Myanmar. But of course, it wasn't him. It was Saido Upandita Jr. <laughs> That's what we used to call him. And he used to teach here on Thursday evenings. And uh, so he would teach this uh, Satipatthana meditation, which is actually from really in the style of Mahasi Saido. Have you heard of Mahasi Saido, famous uh, Burmese meditation master? And what I liked about this approach, actually, which uh, I think is very, very useful, that uh, everything, you have you have your main object of meditation, primary object, they call it, and uh, that, say, would be the breath, or it can be other, other things that you use. You could do walking meditation, your feet, that could be the primary object. But in this case, say the primary object is the breath. Anything else that comes up, is a secondary object. Isn't that wonderful? Most meditators think, oh, this is terrible, thinking's happening. Oh, no, you shouldn't be thinking. But Mahasi Thayadaw is saying, no, secondary object, secondary object. <laughs> because you're aware of it. It's part of mindfulness. It's when we have this idea that, say, the breath is the only thing you want to pay attention to and other things occur, we get this aversion to it. We think, oh, this is wrong, you know. And people quite, you know, very often when it's their first, uh, their first learning meditation, they say, well, I can't meditate. I just think, 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 think. I never used to think this much <laughs> before. But really I say, ah, oh, insight number one, <laughs> that thinking is happening. And this is actually what's going on all the time. But only when you... Sit down to meditate and pay attention to one object. Do you notice really what's going on? Because it's like, you know, if you live in a, a place where there's a lot of noise, after a while, 
you don't notice it. You know, somebody new comes and, oh, oh, it's pretty noisy here, isn't it? Can you hear the train? <laughs> you know, can you hear the music from the restaurant or whatever? And it's the same with our thinking. Because we have never, we are so used to it, we tune out to it. That's the nature of the, how our mind and how our senses work out. Work is if something doesn't change, we get a bit used to it and we don't notice it anymore. So this is actually something that's very useful. So secondary object. <laughs> so very good. And in that way, as I say, we avoid the negativity that some meditators have. You know, they say, oh no, I only want the breath. I don't want this wretched thinking. And of course, you know, we can uh, quickly work out why there is a lot of thinking, because that's what we do a lot of the time. We're repeating that thinking, thinking. The things that we ponder on, they come up. It may seem like automatic, and it is a bit like automatic, but it's to me a very good example of that is the uh, predictive software you get in computers, you know, when you're typing and it predicts the word you're going to say, and so on, you know. After a while of this predictive software, picks up the patterns of the things that you repeat and it, it brings them up quicker and quicker. And you can just see, you know, how conditioned we are. We have these uh, things we pay attention to again and again and they come up in our thinking. It's not as if we even have to think about it. It just comes. So this is a, a very, very useful. And these secondary objects are useful because they can lead to insight. And I'll talk about the areas that uh, are the four areas of Satipatthana that we can develop insights into. And uh, I'll talk about a little bit more detail. But it's body, feelings, they usually say, mind states, and reflecting on our experience in terms of Dhamma, Dhamma Nupassana, they call it. So those four things. And when you think about it in, in life and experience, you know, the body, feelings, the mind states is like emotions or moods, Ayakima used to call them moods, and, and Dhamma Nupassana is really focusing on what we're experiencing, but in terms of, uh, of the Buddhist teaching. So it's, uh, this covers pretty much all of our experience. Maybe you can think of, anybody think of anything else outside of? Because thinking really in, is, uh, often we think, is included in Dhamma Nupassana. That's part of the a part of Dhamma Nupassana in a way, that thinking aspect. Because thinking, feelings, body, pretty much covers it really. It's the beauty of the Buddha's teaching that uh, when you when when you uh, read the teachings, you hear the teachings, you think, oh, that can't be all of it. Surely there's more to it. <laughs> but it, but it isn't. You know, I remember hearing the six about the six senses. I thought, oh, life seems a lot more complicated than that. But then I thought about it. Yes, there's only seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and thinking. You know, the, that's it. There's nothing else. So. It, it actually clarifies things and we can see them more simply. And the purpose of, uh, yes, so this is, and one of the reasons that the Buddha looks at experience like this is breaking it down. So he's breaking it down into these four categories that I mentioned, body, feeling, mind states, and uh, sometimes called mind objects, but our experience in terms of Dhamma. And the reason for that is because when we break it down, 
we can see a lot of what's going on and we can see we can't see a sense of self it breaks down that sense of self too and he was called a vibhajavadan vibhajavadan means somebody who breaks down who analyzes things in into parts into small sections um, and in that way breaking down experience and seeing deeply into it and breaking up the sense of solidity of, of body and mind, me, <laughs> my body, my mind. So, And mindfulness, as I mentioned before when we talked about uh, um, a Remembrance Day today, the um, Armistice, Armistice Day, 11th day of November, 11th hour, um, and one minute silence. So we'll have a bit more than one minute. So mindfulness has two aspects and the very important is paying attention to the present moment. That's, that's the most important thing, whatever we're experiencing, even if it's not what we, we aim to experience. So if you've got the breath as the object and there are feelings coming up, you're aware of those feelings that have come up. And then when, uh, when you're aware of them, then you can go back to the breath when that finishes. So you pay, we pay attention to whatever is predominant in our experience. But once that starts to fade, we go back to the, to the breath. Because the breath becomes, or the primary object becomes the anchor and builds up the strength of the mind, the steadiness of the mind, the samadhi, you could say, of the mind. So this is the important uh, importance of using a single object. So the first, first uh, aspect of mindfulness or sati is this um, paying attention to the present moment. Mindfulness is always paying attention to whatever we are experiencing here and now, whether it's, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. And so this is, uh, um, if it's pleasant, we don't get involved with it, we don't, you know, start enjoying it or start making making up stories about it. And if it's unpleasant, we don't um, get negative about it. But the other aspect, as I mentioned, of mindfulness is the ability to remember. And I like this term, keeping in mind, you know, if you keep things in mind. And there's a nice book from a Thai uh, meditation master called Keeping the Breath in Mind. So it's remembering that, yes, the breath is the object, the primary object, or the present moment is the primary object. So that's, that's a, I quite like that. Uh, there's a German monk who's a very great scholar, Nalio, he doesn't like the idea of uh, memory, sati having this, this meaning of memory. But the Buddha often mentions in the text, you can read it, you know, again and again, person that has sati, has mindfulness, can remember things that happened a long time ago in great detail. And one of the explanations that can link the two of them is what Ajahn Brahm gives. He says, if we're really, really, really present with whatever we're experiencing, we remember it very clearly. So the, the person in the time of the Buddha who had the, the Buddha said was foremost in mindfulness was the monk who could remember all the Buddha's teachings from what Ananda, because he had that ability to remember what he'd heard a long, long time ago. But he had to be present in order to remember. 
And we can see that in our lives too. When we're not present, we're pretty hazy about what went on, actually. <laughs> we don't know for sure. So it's very um, important that the two link together, actually. I like the two of them linked together. And the Buddha uh, did emphasize both aspects. And the thing is, when we are mindful, it cuts through a lot of our patterns uh, and our habitual re reactions. In fact, we start to see some of the conditioning in our minds quite much easier uh, without judging ourselves. That's important, isn't it? Just to see what's going on is very important. And the, the essence of mindfulness practice, Sati, and Satipatthana is to see things, not to be them. So in other words, we're, we're seeing what's going on, but we're not overwhelmed by them. Usually, with many things in our lives, we just, we're just experiencing, we're just being them. We haven't got that ability to step back and just to see them. And that, when we, that's a very useful ability because then we can develop wisdom about it. We can see things very clearly, what's going on. And that is, that's, uh, helps us to understand what we're experiencing. It also enables us to come off automatic pilot because <laughs> a lot of our reactions are just habitual you know they are they're reactions and when we do that then we have choice about how we react rather than immediately you know responding if somebody says something negative to us responding back with something negative so this is the uh, one of the benefits of uh, mindfulness practice and these days, mindfulness is everywhere, isn't it? <laughs> it's everything. It's amazing. So um, I'll just talk a little bit about the, the, um, the four foundations of mindfulness or four focuses of mindfulness, as Ajahn Brahm calls it. And this is Ajahn Brahm's translation of what the purpose of this practice is for. Uh, and this is what the... The Buddha says is the purpose of Satipatthana, four focuses of mindfulness. The four focuses of mindfulness lead in one direction only, to the purification of beings, to going beyond sadness and crying, to the disappearance of physical and mental suffering, for the attainment of the true way, for the realization of Nibbana, that's enlightenment. What are the four? And then he, he gives you the four areas that we focus on, we'll bring up in the meditation. If, if they occur, we'll recognize them. Having restrained the five hindrances, these are the negative aspects of the mind that uh, block or are obstacles to meditation. They are sensory desire, you know, being interested in uh, what we've experienced in the past, thinking about, Anything connected with seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching. You know, whether it be football, cricket, whatever. Food, what we've seen on TV, the news, all that stuff, actually. And uh, then there's ill will. This is the negativity of the mind. And then there's sleepiness and drowsiness. And there's restlessness and worry. And the last one is doubt. These are the five hindrances. So having restrained the five hindrances, you abide aware of the body. This is the first area of our focus, the body. Energized, I think this is atapi, 
knowing the purpose of what you are doing, Sampajanya, and mindful Satima. So, so this is the first focus for us is the body. And when we're breathing, that's part of the body. It's one of the aspects of the body. And then the other aspects that uh, he goes on to translate from the Buddha, having restrained the five hindrances, you abide aware of experience. This is often translated as feeling. Ajahn Brahm choosing experience, Vedana. Energized, knowing the purpose of what you are doing and mindful. And then he continues, having restrained the five hindrances, you abide aware of the mind, chitta, energized, knowing the purpose of what you are doing and mindful. And then the last one, having restrained the five hindrances, you abide aware of mind objects, energized, knowing the purpose of what you are doing and mindful. So that's the four areas. So when we contemplate the body, with breath is one aspect of it, of course. The postures, you know, the postures of the body, sitting, standing, uh, walking, lying down, they also can be used. You know, physical activities in daily life can be used. Walking meditation is a very famous one for, uh, for using um, the movement of the body. And there are other ones looking at the unattractive qualities of the body, the, the fact that the body is made up of different elements, and also the body when it's uh, 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 the changes it goes through when it when it dies, you know when a body decays and breaks down. That's another aspect of understanding the body or using that for meditation. And of course, the contemplation of feeling or experience. And that's usually the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral quality of our feelings. Every experience we have will have one of those qualities. If it's a pleasant experience, a pleasant feeling, then we, we want more of it. Then there's a desire to, to, to get involved with it, to get more of it. If it's unpleasant, we want to get rid of it. <laughs> and so uh, this is uh, a neutral. We don't care. We're not interested. And the Buddha divides those into worldly feelings connected with the body and the five senses and spiritual feel, uh, spiritual feelings as well. But these ones are not emotions. That comes in the next area, which is the contemplation of the state of the mind, Chitta And There we are aware of the absence or presence of any mental state, whether it's uh, greed, hatred or delusion, or non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion, those things. Irritation, annoying, annoyance, calmness, joy, whatever. So it's all there. And then the last area, uh, the fourth area, is the contemplation of mind objects or Dhamma principles, which I mentioned to you before. And that's looking at our, looking at our experience in terms of uh, what's coming up um, but looking at it in terms of the, the uh, what the, the Buddha's teaching, especially the teaching on Satipatthana, so we're looking at things at, that are hindrances in the meditation. We're aware that they've come up, why they've come up. And these, I just mentioned, the hindrances. We look at the fact, look at the body and the mind, the mind being made of feelings, made of uh, perceptions, made of will, will, we call that, and also consciousness. 
and we look at the sense bases. You can be aware of the sense bases when you're meditating. You could be aware of two sense bases, or th two at least, uh, maybe three. You smell the body, you know, the touch experience, and also um, the thinking. Of course, that's that's something that comes up in this one as well, and also. Um, uh, the touch is pretty strong. Sound, sound will be another one. So we've usually got our eyes closed, so we won't be aware of sights, and uh, so we're not eating. <laughs> so there may be taste. And the seven factors of enlightenment—that's an aspect of of the uh, dhamma nupassana. And this is really the positive qualities that lead the meditation to develop, like developing sati mindfulness. This leading to uh, investigating what we're experiencing in terms of whether it's wholesome, unwholesome, developing energy from that, and then from that joy, and then from that uh, tranquility of the body and the mind, and then from that the mind coming together, and then from that upeka, this looking on, this in the development of insight, seeing experience from. Uh, with this detached uh, clarity of mind, incredible clarity and peace of mind. Uh, so it's very uh, positive. And the last one's the Four Noble Truths. So I'll just mention the purpose and then uh, maybe we'll have to restart soon, I think. So the purpose of this is, uh, and, and uh, this is what uh, Ajahn Brahm translates to, is that we're looking at whatever we experience internally or we can look at it externally in other people. In the meditation, it's mainly internal. But if you're watching your breath, you may hear other people breathing too. So that is, that is in a sense, part of the meditation too. It's internally, sometimes externally. That will be more obvious when we're not in a formal meditation. And uh, yes, and certainly when you r realize this is the inside aspect of it, internally, externally, this is the breath that we're all depending on. Our, this breath that we take as our breath, it's sustaining everyone here, the animals, uh, the plants, <laughs> everything actually. And then the other aspect that we're aware of in meditation is when things come up, and when they vanish, when they disappear, to be aware of the beginning and the ending of experience, the breath, or whatever aspect of our present experience. And when we see that, we see the uh, impermanence of things, that things are changing all the time. But when we are using Satipatthana, we're just present with what we experience. We're not really analysing, but... Uh, we can be aware of the beginning and the ending of things. It's very important. And then the third aspect the Buddha mentions is or that we're simply aware of that this is just an object. This is just the breath. It's not my breath. It's not their breath. It's just the breath to the extent necessary for constant mindfulness and knowledge. So this is this awareness which you get, you know, uh, sometimes you, you can get that, you know, you realize the body, which we often think is ours, is just a body, you know. 
it's doing its thing. It's getting sick or it's getting tired or it's getting whatever. So this is a, um, part of the meditation you can develop. And the last aspect, which is a very advanced part, is dwells not clinging to anything in the world. Dwells not clinging to anything in the world. Because if one sees things very mindfully, one can develop this detachment from things. And this this is really, I think, like a state of enlightenment, really. You're getting towards that not attaching to anything, which to some people may sound a bit threatening. <laughs> but in actual fact, it's a, it's a lot more fun <laughs> than when we do attach to people, to things we like, to whatever. So this evening we'll do this. We'll do the primary object will be the breath and then um, the secondary objects, but anything that occurs. And if feelings come up, if mental states come up, then we're just aware of it. We don't have to get rid of it. That's a secondary object. We're mindful still. And in that way, we'll learn about what, how our minds, how our experience is unfolding in meditation, but also this is life too, our lives. And when we are aware of these things coming up, we don't need to label them, just to recognize them. That's the point. Um, in the Mahasi technique, they often label, you know, um, so you have thinking, 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 <laughs> that sort of thing, you know. Um, so we don't need to do that. Just to be aware, to know, that's enough. And very important in meditation, this is the last thing I'll mention before we start, is our attitude to the meditation. This is actually more vital than uh, the objects of meditation, really. Because uh, the if we have a positive attitude towards what we are, uh, our meditation object to the experiences we uh, uh, that come up for us, then there's no none of this negativity rejecting things, no, not causing the negativity in the mind which says, I like this, I don't want that. <laughs> and just being able to accept, basically to accept with what Ajahn Brahm calls kindfulness, you know, a mixture of kindness and mindfulness. So it's not a, it's an accepting, allowing, a gentleness, a caring, a kindness. It's not a rejecting sort of mind state. And then the meditation can really develop uh, by itself. So that's what we plan to, I plan to do this evening. Are there any questions people have before we start? We do about, uh, it's half an hour usually we do. Yeah. Hmm? 45 minutes tonight, is it? All right. I, usually, I think I usually do 30 for the garden. <laughs> but we can do. How many people are new here today? Any new people? No? Oh, that's good. Then we can go for longer. We'll go between 30 and 45. We can see, see how it goes. So, first of all, we can find a position that's comfortable. Probably not much different from what you've got now, but one that you can you feel comfortable in and you can sustain for the uh, meditation. And we can uh, check the body just to move it around so we can uh, find out if the shoulders are in the right place, the head's in the right place. 
the legs are comfortable. Ajahn Brahm even says we can say to ourselves, Leg, are you in the are you comfortable? <laughs> it's quite funny. So we can check that out, close our eyes, and when we close our eyes, we become more aware of the body. It becomes clearer of what we need to do, how we need to adjust it for this period of the meditation. And it's good at the beginning of each meditation to have a clear intention of why we're meditating. So the mind doesn't just get hazy and drowsy. It's got an idea of why we're here. So the intention perhaps for this evening can be to be aware of whatever I am experiencing with kindness, whether it is pleasant or not. And that's the hard bit when it's not. So we can have this intention to be aware of whatever we're experiencing with kindness, whether it's pleasant or not, to be here to learn. So we can come into the present moment, let go of the past, what's happened has happened, and let go of the future, what will happen, we don't really know. We don't need to be concerned with what we're going to do after this. We're just here in the oasis of the present moment. We can leave the past and future with our shoes at the door. And we have nothing we have to do and nowhere we have to go for this short time. We can begin by relaxing the body. This is a very good way for the mind to relax to and settle, settle down. So we begin with the top of the head, all around the top of the head, relaxing it and soothing it, giving it this kindfulness. And we move the attention down to the forehead and around the eyes, and around the mouth, the whole of the face, relaxing it, soothing it, giving it this mental massage. And remove the attention slowly down to the neck, all around the neck, giving it, soothing it with this warm attention. And we move to the right shoulder, starting at the neck, and move along the right shoulder, massaging the right shoulder with our minds. Soothing it, relaxing it, allowing any tense or painful areas to relax.
and then moving the attention down the right arm, starting at the top of the right arm and moving it slowly down all around with this warm attention down to the elbow, down further to the wrist, to the right hand and the fingers right to the tips of the fingers relaxing, soothing. Experiencing the right arm. And now we bring our attention to the left shoulder, starting at the neck and then moving along the left shoulder with this kind, soothing attention. And bringing to mind the left arm, starting at the top and moving the attention down the left arm to the elbow, down to the wrist, the hands and fingers. Just soothing, relaxing. And we bring to mind the back, starting at the shoulders, and move our attention down the back. Noticing any tight areas, any um, painful areas, and giving them this warm, kind, relaxing attention. Moving it slowly down the back. right down to the seat we're sitting on. Now we bring the attention to the front of the body, just below the shoulders, and move our attention down the chest, slowly moving it down with this warm, kind attention, down to the stomach area, and down to the abdomen below. 
relaxing the front of the body. And now we can move our attention to the right leg, starting at the top of the right leg and moving down the right leg, slowly all around with a soothing, kind attention. Down to the knee, all around the knee, and down the lower right leg. Down to the ankle, and the right foot, all around the right foot, moving our attention to the toes and to the tips of the toes, relaxing the right leg and the right foot. And now we can bring our attention to the left leg, starting at the top of the left leg and moving down the left leg slowly all around with this kind massaging attention to the left leg. Down to the knee, all around the knee. and down the left lower leg, down to the ankle, relaxing it, soothing it, being kind. Now we pay attention to the left foot, all around the left foot, the sole, the top of the left foot, and the toes. Relaxing them, soothing them. And we can become aware of the whole body just sitting here. What's it like? Here's the body sitting in the present moment. Experiencing the pressure of sitting on the cushion or the seat. Touch of the feet on the floor. 
temperature of the room, sounds in the room, whatever we are aware of with this kindness. Just knowing what we're experiencing here and now in the present moment. And when the breath comes to our attention, the breath comes to us, 
we can make that the primary object. And anything else we experience, whether it be pleasant feelings in the body or our minds, unpleasant feelings or neutral feelings, you just know, ah, feelings is a secondary object. You don't have to get rid of it. But when we have finished, when the attention is finished with feeling, we can go back to the breath. We remember the breath and we return to it. Or if a mind state comes up, if there's an emotion, there's tiredness, there's irritation, there's happiness, there's joy, whatever mind state, we're kind to it. We know it's there, we know it's arisen. And then we can go back to the breath. And when we experience something, maybe we are aware there's some sort of desire in the mind. So we know, ah, this is a mind object or this is a dhamma. And we go back to the breath. So it's mindfulness, continuous mindfulness in a way. But different objects, but the breath is our main anchor. It gives steadiness and strength to the mind. When thinking comes up, ah, secondary object, thinking. And we can come back to the breath.
And now we're coming close to the end of the meditation. So we can reflect on how we feel now. Is it different from when we started the meditation? And what stood out in the meditation? most? Was it the primary object or the secondary objects that visit? And were we able to be kind to whatever we experienced, whether we like it or not? And what did we learn from the meditation? And we can share the energy of meditating together with everyone here, all beings here, with our family and friends and all beings everywhere else, that they may develop mindfulness and kind kindness in their lives, bringing them freedom and happiness. And we can make the aspiration or wish to develop more mindfulness, more kindness, all the time. Whether it's in meditation or in daily life. Whatever we are doing. To bring, to pay attention to it. And to be kind to whatever we are experiencing or with it whoever we are with, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. And we can anchor this feeling of kindness, mindfulness, and what other, whatever other feelings we have from the meditation, maybe peace, anchor them in our hearts so that we can remember them any time and go back to that feeling, go back to that mindfulness and kind, kindfulness. And now you can slowly open the eyes 
and move the body to make ourselves more comfortable. So, I wonder if there's any uh, questions or comments people have about their experience of the meditation or about uh, the approach of Satipatthana mindfulness to uh, in this meditation. So it's always a good sign when there are no questions. <laughs> I'm very happy <laughs> when there are no questions, no comments, because it means for each of us that the mind has become more peaceful. And of course the aim of the meditation is to have not only that peace, but the sort of clarity that comes with it, the awareness that comes with it. We know what we're doing. We know what we're well, not what we're doing, what we're experiencing. Hopefully we're taking a break from doing <laughs> and just knowing of what's going on in our experience of the present moment and bringing that sense of kindness to whatever we're experiencing. It's a very, very useful training because the more we incline that the mind that way, the more we can be present in daily life. It's not just on the cushion. The more we can be present with ourselves, uh, and when, whether we're experiencing pleasant things or unpleasant things, the more we can be present with other people too, with, with situations that we encounter at work, at home. And when we, when we have this mindfulness, we can get perhaps an inkling of what's going on and a little bit of a distance from what's going on so we can learn from it and not be caught up in it so much get some understanding of the situation, which can change how we relate to it in a very big way. So this uh, meditation, even though it's only, you know, not a long period of meditation, if we do it regularly, we can develop more and more. The mind will incline more towards being present, not being judgmental, being kind, just experiencing what's going on and understanding what uh, what we're experiencing, seeing the bigger picture, just to see where the mind moves during the meditation. Very useful to see, you know, to see it going to thinking, there being, you know, uh, unpleasant or unpleasant feelings in the body or the mind, whatever they may be, and not having to react to them. Because meditation is about knowing, and mindfulness is about knowing, no, that's that's the purpose of it. And when we know, then we can have a lot more clarity, much more wisdom. We can be much more effective in our daily life um, and in our relationships too. We can be much more clear about what's important. 
So we can see what's going on in the mind, the thinking that's coming up, and we can see that it's the things that we repeat again and again that come up. It's no surprise. <laughs> and uh, in meditation, what you do notice, you know, when the mind, when we uh, are mindful in the present moment, we can see that the mind often will turn to things that it's preoccupied with, you know, maybe an item we heard on the news or something someone said today, good or bad, you know, and we can focus on that. We can just see the things that are coming up, we're remembering things, and then come back to the mindfulness to give an anchor to the mind, give the mind some freedom from being reacting all the time, being caught up all the time. Because this is one of the qualities the Buddha said that the Dhamma, all of his teachings, has one one taste, and that's the taste of freedom. He calls it vimuti, you know, being free from, you know, being caught in reaction, being free from being on automatic, and developing the free, wisdom that frees us from a lot of our negative reactions. And meditation aimed at purifying the mind of these negative qualities, whether it be greed, hatred, delusion, all these things. And they free us from these things. And when we are free from them, the mind is happy and at peace. And there are not so many problems in our lives. <laughs> so this meditation is a training. I always say it's a training for our life, not just for sitting in uh, meditation, enjoying it, it's peaceful. And as I say, the group energy very supportive. And Anjan Shah, he had this, uh, he always <laughs> yeah, emphasized that when we get up from the meditation, don't think this is the, oh, good, we finished meditating. He said, no, we're just changing the object of our meditation. <laughs> so we're getting up and we'll go to the vehicles, the car, or we'll go to the bus or the tram, whatever. We'll experience, you know, going out into the cooler air. Um, whatever, you know, remembering things that we're planning to do. So the objects of our meditation change. But we can bring that quality of mindfulness to whatever we're experiencing. An important thing is to bring that sort of, when we bring that kindness, we're not judgmental. And that will have a really good effect on our relationships to people. You know, we, we'll be less inclined to judge them just accept them as they are at this moment <laughs> and to realize they're not permanently like that even if they're very unpleasant they're not permanently like that so that you know we can live much more peacefully in this in this world and be concerned with our business whatever our business is not other people's business <laughs> and not to get worried about the things we can't change which is nature's business those three areas so this mindfulness always useful. The Buddha, when he was talking actually about the seven factors of awakening, these are things that lead to enlightenment, which is basically the meditation process, really. That's what it is. Uh, he said we can, have, we can never have too much mindfulness. You can always have. It doesn't matter. There's no excess. There's no problem with excess mindfulness. It's very, very useful for us because we see so clearly, because this is what we want to, to develop, the, the peace that allows the mind to settle down, and that mindfulness, that clarity, 
allows us to see into the mind like a pond. So we can see into the pond. And meditation has that ability to, to make the pond nice and smooth, no ripples, the winds of the mind settle down and we can see into the mind itself. And when we understand this mind and body, we understand all minds and bodies. They're all of a pretty similar nature even though we may think we're nothing like that other person at work or whatever, you know, whatever it is. But when we understand ourselves, then we can understand other people and get an inkling of where they're coming from. And uh, that can make us a lot kinder and compassionate towards them, towards ourselves. So thank you very much for coming this evening and contributing this energy to the meditation. And I hope that you take something away that was useful for you and develop that uh, sort of mindfulness that, as I say, it gives us this quality of being able to observe, to watch what's going on and not to get too caught up in things, which can be very, very useful. So um, thank you very much for this evening. And those who wish to, we can just pay uh, respects to the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha and uh, finish the evening there. Always feels complete when we do it that way. <laughs>